Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians, again, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15. And I titled this message, Boot Camp 101. And this is part two, and it's really the, the believer's armor. So let's open in prayer. Father, again, as we turn to you, we turn to you to our strong tower. We turn to you, the one that our destiny is in your hands. You said nothing will prevail against the church. Lord, so we look to you, we trust in you, we ask you to bind the enemy this morning that we would hear, hear again your word as you intend for your word to be spoken. So bring clarity this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verse 10 and we're going to read through 17 just to see the context of the passage. That's again Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 17. We're going to read the whole passage, but focus on two verses. Notice again, Paul said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And in verse 14, notice it says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate, the breastplate, of righteousness and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel peace in addition to all taking up that shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's the whole context of the passage it is what we call spiritual warfare we're not called please understand to go and become demon busters. We're not to go and chase demons, looking for them under every rock, blaming them on everything, everything that happens in our lives because a lot of things just happen. We're in a fallen world. What we see in our text is that we're to stand firm in the faith, not letting the enemy get a foothold in your life, not giving in to him. In fact, look back at verse 10 for a moment. It says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, the, the almighty one. And I can't help but think of Philippians and maybe you too, 4.13. And you can see that on the screen. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, our strength comes from a God who is all-powerful, almighty, and you can do anything that God calls you to do it doesn't mean you can do anything that you want to do but those things that God has called you to do if God puts you in a situation with the enemy in a conflicting situation he will give you the grace that you need but do not please run ahead of the Lord don't meddle in things that you're not called to do 
Because again, the passage says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the things that he's called for you and for me. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, be strong in his grace. Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. We draw from his grace. And see, this is something that we fail to do sometimes as we turn to a friend, we turn to the world. Turn to Jesus Christ and receive from him. Appropriate what is already given to you in Christ and you can stand firm. Grace meaning we often refer to it as that unmerited favor. But the grace is what you need at that individual moment. Anyone struggle with memory here in their life as they get older? Yeah, but you know what? I have found that when I need to remember something, God gives me the memory and I'm able to deal with exactly what I need to deal with. And you know how that is. And we just turn to him and he's faithful. Now the believer's strength does not lie in any human or any fleshly strength at all, but in a living, dynamic relationship with a living God. And that's the question. Do you have that relationship with a living God? Just as you would walk with your wife or your kids, you'd walk through life and going through, God is with you. We should be so aware of his presence wherever you go, he's there. You, you might look like a nutty tunes talking to yourself, but you're talking to the Lord and the Lord hears you. He knows the cry of your heart. He will give you exactly what you need when you need it but he won't give you something that you don't need. Again, it's only because of this, I'm going to say unique relationship that we have with the Lord because there's only a remnant in the world. A small amount of people really have this relationship with the Lord. It's because of this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that the enemy wants to attack you. He wants to attack me. And he uses the same various schemes over and over and over and over again. And we need to recognize what those schemes are. Now the battle, remember, truly is the Lord's battle. See, the rebellion, it's Satan rebelling against God. The battle is between God and Satan, a created being who has fallen who has led many angels after him through his schemes to deceive them to try and overpower God. But we know that God is all powerful. We know how the story ends, but Satan doesn't give up. Right from the very beginning that, again, that Satan rebelled against God in the heavens. And if that wasn't enough, Right in the garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, the serpent, was there. With his schemes, he looked to lure, again, man who was in innocence into sin that he would be separated from God. And you know what? He did it. And that's when all of our problems started. Now, I want to call your attention. There was literally one man and one woman, and there was Satan. It's not a fable. It is true. 
And Satan would have you say, well, it's only an allegory. It's only a story. It is the fact. There was Adam, there was Eve, and there was Satan manifesting himself as a serpent. Now, as we talk about Satan, his name is also the devil. The devil. And the devil continues day in and day out with his schemes to deceive you, to entrap you, to enslave you, to bring men's souls to ruin. You know what drugs do to a person. You've seen them lose their marriages, lose their finances. And in time, sometimes you even see them in a, a gutter. You see they're, they've aged. It seemed like 30 years they've aged from what they really are. That's what sin does to you and me, except for what it does. It will leave you separated from God for all eternity. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, this is why the scripture says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your wife. It's not against your boss. It's not against your husband. It's not against mom and dad. It's an enemy who manipulates people. And oftentimes, that can be true of every one of us being manipulated by the devil to react in anger, to react with emotions, to stimulate immoral activity. And we'll talk more about that. But this is the enemy's scheme. And if he's going down, he's going to take as many people as he can. Well, the devil also repeatedly attempted to destroy, again, if you stop and think about it, Israel. And yet God has been fighting for them again and again. In fact, the devil has attempted to stop the, the birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, his ministry, the resurrection of his son, but he's failed. And he wouldn't fail. And he will fail. But we need to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. We don't need to go call ghostbusters. We don't need to seek something else. We simply go to his word. We go to his promises. And we go to him in prayer. And greater is he who is in me than in his in the world. We're to resist the devil and he'll flee. Don't entertain him. Don't give him a foothold. Now the devil is unequaled in one sense in his wickedness and his evil and he seeks to prevent Christ's second coming. He seeks to pervert, again, the doctrines around that second coming and put the eyes upon people and what's called the doctrines of demons. But the battle is the Lord's. And if we are to stand firm, if we are to, to stand in this battle, we stand firm in the Lord and we need to put on this armor of God. The armor, that is, is the only way you and I 
will ever be victorious against Satan. It's the armor, though, please understand. Not that you buy at a store, but the armor that God provides. The armor of God is himself. It's what he wears himself. It, the armor reflects God himself. In fact, Isaiah 11.5 says also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt around his waist. When we put on this armor of God, we're, we're really putting on truth and righteousness and readiness and faith. And we're taking a hold of salvation and the gospel. Now don't hold up hands. But let me ask you a question. Are you going to heaven? Do you have that assurance in your life that you know that one day you will face Jesus face to face? You know that much of the body of Christ do not know whether they will be good enough to go to heaven. Guess what the answer is? No, you won't be good enough to go to heaven. But it's trusting in Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness. And he is the keeper of our soul. And he finished the work upon the cross. And it was accepted by the Father when he was raised from the grave. And he's coming again. But the enemy would say, you know what? You're not good enough for heaven. And it's okay. You can say, that's right. But by the grace of God, I will be with the Lord in heaven. Amen? I mean, no matter how bad it gets in life, you know, no matter what is taken away from you, they can never take your salvation away from you. That assurance is one thing that the enemy will try and attack again and again and again, that assurance that you're going to be in heaven with the Lord one day. I know if something would happen to, to my daughter, to my son, to my wife, I will see them again in heaven. That gives great peace to your soul, that, that assurance. And, and that's what God wants to have with you, that relationship that you know. Now look at verses 14 and 15 in our text. I want to call your attention to something. Notice again in verse 14, having girded your loins with truth, and then having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 15, it says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Three times that word is used, having. This is something that you and I go through life with. This is, this is the armor, in a sense, that, that we wear when we're not in battle. We just wear all the time. Notice it's having it, it, it's, it's already done, and it speaks of a permanence. What is that permanence again? Notice you've girded your loins with truth. Every believer has girded his loins with the truth. This is important to understand. You're going to grow in that knowledge of it, but you gird your loins with truth. You put on that breastplate of righteousness, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but it's not only the imputed righteousness of God, it's knowing who you are in Christ and having shod your feet. Three times, anytime the Bible repeats itself again and again, it is important. 
And when God speaks, he's very serious. This is a very serious point. Every believer should have these three things on. On one hand, the belt is not really part of the armor, but yet God calls it a part of an armor if they're using the armor of a, a, a Roman citizen, the one that would be going to battle, the soldier. While you would have a belt, but it wasn't part of the armor. It was something, it was defensive. So by putting on this armor, we become imitators of Christ. I like that. Tim, you're an imitator of Christ. And you should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. When we put on this armor, then we become imitators because what we're doing, we're going to see is we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ on our lives. And if we have put on this armor, the world will see Christ in us, in our actions, and hear the words coming from our mouth. Notice again in verse 14. It says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And it's also called the, the belt of truth in some translations. And I, as I mentioned, it's, it's three times that, that we see it. it. It's significant. Because Satan wants you to distrust God. He wants you to forsake obedience. He wants to produce in your life, again, uh, division in your life or hindering the service. He wants you to serve in the flesh, live in the flesh. He wants you to live hypocritically. Everything that would misrepresent God, that God would not be seen in your life, in my life. Now, when we talk about, again, this, this belt of truth or girding it up is the idea, the Roman soldier wore a tunic and it was loose. I'm going to liken it to a, a muumuu. You know how muumuus are kind of loose and flowing. And they would wear this, and when they would go into the field to work, or they would go fishing, they would girt everything, pull it up, or sometimes they would pull it up, and they would pull it up and pull it between their legs when they're working in the field, so it would not hinder their work. And it's the same way that this belt of truth, the difference is truth, is we have to have this truth in our life. It's the truth pulls everything together, every element. See, the soldiers at that time, most of their battling was a hand-to-hand. -hand. And there was this hindrance. If there was something you could trip over, you could snag on something and, and pull away. So they would have to gird it very carefully, cinch it up. And it's important to understand that when they would put on this belt, the soldier later on, and we won't deal with this week, this is where he would put his sword of the Spirit. It's very important that we understand that when he's talking about having girded your loins with truth, it's a, it's a metaphor, meaning that we need to be ready. In fact, Exodus 12, 11, notice what it says on the screen. Now you shall eat in this manner with your loins be girded and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And when they took that Passover, they needed to be ready to go quickly. Every Christian needs to be ready. When we hear that shout of the Lord and a call to go home, we need to be ready. You don't know if you have another day. 
You don't know if you'll have another opportunity to serve him or tell your family, your friends, or, or pray for someone that you love. You need to be ready. And that's one of the things of a, of a Christian. We're to, to be ready. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.13, notice what it says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we need to be ready. Are you ready today? Sadly, a few weeks ago, people were looking for the rapture at a certain time and they were looking for the rapture. And when I really began to talk to some of them, they weren't looking for Jesus Christ. They were looking for a vent. And we should be looking for Jesus Christ every day. You can walk with them and you can talk with them, but there's going to be a time that he is coming to you to take you home. You remember the story of Enoch. He, he walked with the Lord 300 years and the Lord, you know, and, and I'm kind of reading in the text and the Lord said to him one day, you know what, Enoch? You're closer to my home than your home. Come to be with me. This life is all preparation for our eternal life. God is preparing you to go and be with him and we need to be ready to meet him. We need to be ready to be looking to him. And I had a friend that made such an impact in my life when I first got saved. And she was a missionary. She'd been on the field for many years and she'd come home and she was probably about 75 at the time and every day she'd wake up she'd rub her hands together lord what is it today lord is it today we'd sit down and we'd eat together and we pray lord this is a great time i'm looking for you to come we should live through life with this anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming. We don't know when, but it's his word. It's his truth. And God does not lie. That gives us such comfort. That gives us such peace. Well, the belt was used again to pull the soldier's clothing close to their body. You've seen people put on a belt, a work belt, or even a belt like when they're working at Home Depot or something to give them support and strength. And that's what truth does in your life. It pulls all the pieces together, the truth, and it holds you up. It helps you to stand firm. Now, this belt of truth, please understand, because, you know, what is truth today? So many ask. There are no absolute truth, some say today. Yeah, but this truth that we're talking about, we're going to see what this truth is in a moment, but it's, it's not truth individually or subjectively thought out. It's not truth of a, of a man or a, a group of men. It's not man's novel idea or it's not a, a denominational doctrine that's not in the Bible. See, all those things are self-centered and they're restricting so we have to ask the question, so what specifically is the belt of truth? And the first thing that we see is Christ is the truth. It means that when we put on the belt of truth, you're putting on Christ Jesus. And every day, you and I put on Christ Jesus. Look at John 1.14, and it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Notice, 
full of grace and truth. And then in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's no one that comes to the Father but through me coming through the truth of Jesus Christ. So first of all, the, the belt of truth is putting on Jesus Christ. Every day we put on Jesus Christ. We get in the word and the word gets in us and the word becomes flesh in us. It changes us and transforms us. It changes our mind. It washes our mind and gives us new desires we never had before. It supernaturally works in you and me. When I see someone coming and they're hungry for the word and they're in the word and, and I can see they're a little off here and a little off there, I just watch them as they continue in the word, they continue and says, and you know what? I see their life changing. I see their life beginning to blossom. I see things around them and relationships healing because of the truth, because they learn to put on the truth. The second thing I want to call your attention to, the word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. The believer is to put on that word of God and to be sanctified by the word of God. Look at John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. I have a hard time reading that because I think thy word is truth. I remember the King James on that. And that's so true. Your word is truth. And that word must get in us. We must value it for what it is, is the word of God. Ephesians 5 26 says this, so that you might sanctify her. Now, this is a husband is to sanctify his wife, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Simply reading her with the, the, to the word of God to your wife, to your children, washes them and cleanses them and opens the door for conversations. That's what the word of God washes our minds and changes us, and transforms us. It's 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This was the Thessalonians, and when Paul's describing when he came to them, and notice what he says. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. Again, when the Thessalonians received it, they received it not as the word of men. We have to come like a childlike spirit when we come and read the word and we say, Lord, speak. When little Samuel heard the word and, and, and God was speaking to him, he didn't understand it. He had to be told, just go back. When you hear God speak, say, your servant is listening. And when we read the word, the most important thing is not how much do you read, but read with the intent to hear God speak to you. Because over a period of time, it may take you a while, over a period of time, you will learn to recognize the very voice of God, that quiet, still voice, that impression upon your heart. That's more important than any message any person can ever give is to hear God speak. Now, please understand, the enemy at the same time will try and confuse those thoughts. 
And that's why we have to continue in the work, in the Word of God. Thirdly, speaking and living a life of truthfulness is truth. That we walk in the truth as he walks in the truth. Ephesians 4.25 says this, Therefore lay aside falsehood, speak truth to one another, to one another of, with his neighbor and for all of his members or one another. Laying aside the falsehood, speak the truth to each one. And, and I want to just stop there. Every one of us here, can we be honest? Can we be frank? No hands up. Every one of us probably lie at some point and don't even realize. It, as soon as it's out, we, we said a lie. Let me look at your faces. <laughs> you can't lie that way. It, it, sometimes things just come out and not thinking and, and, and it's just our fleshly reaction. Let me tell you, if we want to walk in the truth, the best thing we can do is say, you know what, that came out so quickly, I didn't think about it. Let me, let me rephrase that. If you want to be a person of the truth, you need to be honest. Not a deceiver, not a liar. It just starts with, you ever notice that one little lie? Leading to another lie? Leading to another lie, and pretty soon you don't even know what the truth is anymore, do you? And that's true of every single person. It's got to stop if we are to walk in truthfulness. Truth does several things for the Christian. Look in verse 14 again. Having girded your loins with the truth, Ephesians 4.14 says this, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves, carried about every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, and I'm going to add the devil there. See, when you know that truth, that truth is manifested in you, you then begin to develop a discernment and you'll no longer be tossed and turned every wind of direction. You know, you just continue to plod on one foot in front of the other, trusting in God, what God has said, and that is enough. Now, if we're chasing after this thing and we're chasing after that thing, we're really in our actions saying, God, you're not enough. My question is, is God enough? And we have, no, not amen, you got to, but, but we must know in our heart he's enough. And when we catch ourselves drifting, the truth will bring us back to that plumb line. It keeps a person from being entangled in the, the affairs of this life. Let me show you 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier's active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, what is, how does that apply to you and to me? First of all, we're in a battle and we're all soldiers, every one of us. And we need to be very careful what we allow in our lives and what's not in our lives. And sometimes we allow things in our life that will draw us away. I remember being with a, a group of young people at the time. There was a, a really nice young lady and, and she was in this Bible study. But as soon as she had a boyfriend, she no longer attended the fellowship. 
And I've seen that same picture again and again and again. Some relationships are not healthy relationships. Some relationships are just not good. And sometimes you're not ready for a relationship. If, if, if you've lost a loved one or you've gone through a divorce, it's not time. It's not ready because we're weak. Is that true? Yeah, we're still tempted until you're grounded and, and, and know that you're kept by God and, and able to set those healthy boundaries. And, and see, this is what the Word does. It reminds us where we need to be. The Scripture makes it very clear, again, for single people, not to be unequally yoked. Yet believers sometimes go out with unbelievers. And, and then they get married and, and those people eventually drift away or they have a different religion, the totally opposite, doesn't even line up with the Scripture. And pretty soon they're going there. They're, they're pulled away. But staying in the Word will prevent you from being entangled in whatever affairs of life there is. It supports him in the battles and trials. Let me show you. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do, do have a high priest who cannot... Come on, Ron. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near in confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. What does this mean? Well, first of all, Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. No. That's 2,000 years ago, people say. What it means is he was tempted the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life. These are the things that the enemy tempted him. Look at Luke 4, Matthew 4. This is where the enemy tempted him. Tempted him, but he was without sin. That's the important thing. When we understand that we have a sympathetic high priest and, and you're going through a temptation, a trial, we can run into our arms and we can receive mercy and grace in a time of need. I find myself there many times needing his mercy and grace. Sometimes it seems like daily. Sometimes it's several times a day when people rattle our cages. Do you know what I mean by that? And we want to react a certain way. And we need him to help us. Well, John 8, 32, notice what it says there. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's so important. To know the truth and the truth will make you free. It, it guides you, it directs you, it comforts you, it builds you up. This is the spiritual warfare that's so important. So again, our lives need to be girded with the truth. And when it's girded with the truth, then the idea is it reveals the reality of Jesus Christ and the Father. Because Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And our lives are to be a reflection of him. The content of God's truth is essential for every believer it's the only way that you and I can ever deal with the schemes of the devil. Because when he comes with you, you know this is not true. This is not right. The Lord says this. And you'll know what to do. Again, this is why Ephesians, as I mentioned it earlier, says that we'll no longer be 
tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine because the enemy comes to pervert the doctrine, to draw you away, to get you to, to question the Lord. Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter days, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. These are people that go to church. They're, they're religious people. They're, they're people that are seen reading the Word, but they're reading into the Word what they want to see and what they want to hear. And what do they do? Well, it says they fall away from the faith. God doesn't live up to their standard. And they don't know who God is. And they're following after doctrines of demons. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says this, But since we are the day, we're children of the day, children of the light, let us be sober, having put on that breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet in the hope of salvation. Well, let's look again in verse... 14, and let's look at that breastplate of righteousness, having put on that breastplate of righteousness. Well, the breastplate was for protecting, again, those, those organs, those special organs, the heart, the lungs that provide, again, the, the blood pumping through us, the breath in our lungs to carry on uh, the fight. But it speaks to us about the imputed righteousness of God that we have through faith by grace. That means you know you're saved. You know that God died for you. You know that he's coming again for you. You have a hope of heaven. The enemy will try and stumble you. And it's important to understand that, that we need to have this assurance of who we are in Christ and what he has done and what we should do. Now, a Roman soldier... Please understand that it would, would never go into battle without a breastplate. He knows the importance of, of protecting these vital organs. He knows, again, that every little thing that would come in, that he would have leather and he would have bones and all molded together, protected. Sometimes they would have metal over the top of it. Sometimes it would be just heavy leather protection before they'd ever go into a battle. He knew the importance of that breastplate. And this is the, what Paul brings and, and gives us a picture. And I'd like to share an illustration. There was a woman many, many years ago and, and she'd went to the store and she said, oh, this is just perfect. What I'd love to get for my husband for Christmas, but it's a lot of money. I don't have it. In those days, they really weren't doing layaways too much at that point. But she went to the, the store manager and said, you know, I, I really want to get this for my husband. And, 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 and she says, I can, I can give you money today. You keep it. You hold it. This is, again, before they were doing layaways. And the manager says, I know who your husband is. I know he's a policeman. I, I know how to get a hold of you if something happens. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wrap it up for Christmas for you. You give me your money, you come in each month, it'll be paid off by Christmas, and you can have it now. I'm going to trust you. So she goes home that night, so excited about this present, she gives it to her husband. And he's excited. And the next day he goes to work, 
and he's called on a job or actually a crime. There's been a shooting. He races over and her husband's shot. He hits the ground. He's now taken to the hospital. Two other policemen go to the house to get her. And they say, you need to come. Your husband has been shot. And when they get to the, the hospital, the doctor comes out and he says, you know what saved him life? Was that bulletproof vest. That was the present. She wanted it for him because she loved him. She knew the importance of it. He knew the importance and that's why they didn't wait till Christmas. While he was knocked down, even delirious, because when you get hit with a powerful, it knocks you out. They didn't know at that time, all they knew is the other officers, he was hit, he was down, and they got her there. Would you go out if you were a policeman without a bulletproof vest? If you're going into a riot, why in the heck would you even go out without the breastplate of righteousness? Because you are a target of the enemy. He's like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. And by not being equipped, not going out with it, you're saying, here I am. And that's what we do. We open the door to the enemy. And many Christians go through life defeated, spiritual poverty, and they don't realize what they have in Christ. Because a righteousness and holiness is, is so distinctive of these characteristics of God himself. Can't imagine why we wouldn't want to wear these, to identify with our king. Satan wants to cloud our minds. With false doctrine, false principles, false information, things that lead us to division, to pervert our morals, our affections, our goals, even our commitments. He looks to snatch the word of God from your mind by filling your mind with not that movies are wrong, I, I watch movies too, but you can have so much of the world in your mind, it smothers the very Word of God. This is why we, we put on this armor of God. He seeks again to, to replace immorality, you know, with good morals, pure living, with immorality and greed and envy and hate. You see that so often, sadly, in the body of Christ, universal, wherever you go, in every fellowship, you see that. Some have not matured. Some are walking in spiritual poverty. Some are deceiving themselves that they're saved and they've never put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, it's the righteousness that is taken and wrapped around you and me. The righteousness of God. Look at verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Soldiers are to wear these boots and they're like sandals. And, and it's important to understand that they even look like they had cleats on them, like nails coming through, that they would get traction. It, it's so important. Notice again in verse 15, having shod your feet. And it's with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
And, and, and just as important it is for a soldier to, to have, again, these, these feet when they're going and climbing hills or, or standing defensive against the enemy and when they're hit and fighting to, to hold the ground. You and I need to have our feet shod with the gospel of peace if we're to stand firm against the devil. You need to know what the good news is. You need to know the one who has brought about that good news. Especially if we're to handle the word of God. Well, it's interesting that that the Christian spiritual warfare is just as important as again the, the soldiers would need at that time. Fitted with readiness. Readiness that is that comes from the gospel of peace. Notice Isaiah 52, 7. This is where it draws it from. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Having that gospel, knowing that gospel means that that we, if we're in readiness, we will share the gospel message whenever God gives us an opportunity. In fact, we'll be looking to share that gospel message, looking to see our friends and family come into the kingdom. We will not be fearful what the enemy says or how he distracts. We'll simply, in a loving way, speak the truth in love. The knowledge of the gospel makes people alert. And, and we're alert, we're attentive, we're, we're ready. Ready for life. You're not ready for life until you're ready to die. Knowing that assurance, knowing that you put on that armor of God. First Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that lies within, yet with gentleness and reverence. See, if you put on this armor of God, when your friends come to you or somebody in a a marketplace, somebody that you run into, somebody might just come up and say, oh, you're a Christian and even challenge you. You'll be able to stand firm against that enemy because those people oftentimes are pawns and they're wanting to bring out the worst in you but when you have that truth and you know that truth and that truth has set you free you'll be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within that hope is the gospel message that Jesus died for you and me he's paid the price you and I could never pay He was raised from the grave and he's coming again. Those words should be the most precious words in your life. You should never, ever get tired of saying them. You'll have your own way of saying them. But to say, Lord Jesus, come now. Would you stand with me, please? Lord Jesus, we want to say that we love you. But Lord, at the same time, we don't know how to love the way that you love. So we ask that you pour into our hearts, that you would increase that capacity to love you. 
that we would walk in your ways. You say, if you love me, we'll keep your commands. And Lord, we want to keep your commands. We want to keep that great commission. We want to put on the armor, God. We know the importance of that. We want to stand firm against the enemy. But we also say, Lord Jesus, come now. We're longing to be with you. We, we know your presence. We know your power. We know the joy that you fill our lives with. But Lord, we want to be with you as you intended just as Adam and Eve to be in the garden. So we say, Lord, have your way in our hearts. Finish this work and take us to be with you today. And all God's people said, Amen.